Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Hello and welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Danny Beat Orr. Um, Danny, let's start off by giving everyone kind of an introduction to yourself and we'll we'll jump into it. Well, Glenn, uh, good morning. Happy birthday. Thank you yeah, for having me. we're actually recording this on my birthday. I still work on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you making time for me on your birthday. So thanks for uh, for the opportunity. Um, I'm originally from Israel. I was born and raised in Israel. Uh, grew up in Israel. Went to the three years mandatory service in the Israeli Special Forces. Uh, got my engineering degree in Israel. Um, and about uh, 18 years ago, I decided to move to the U.S. Um, for the sake of real estate. What, pu- what pulled me really over was I wanted to immerse myself in the U.S. real estate investing. Truly, that was the trigger. I started investing while having my, uh, you know, uh, engineering degree. I'm uh, sorry, engineering first and second engineering job in the Israeli high tech. Yeah, I got, you know, I started saving money. And after kind of playing around with stocks and options and seeing this is not a good fit for me, I started buying a property and then to other small syndications, part of, you know, part of members membership in U.S. properties. Not something big in terms of money, but that was my jump into the pool. Um, and I just found that this is, uh, I'm passionate about it, more about this than my own job, uh, <laughs> which I did like my job, but this was, this was more exciting in many, many, many ways. And two years after starting investing from Israel, in the U.S., I decided that uh, we decided uh, that we want to move to the U.S. And my goal was, in order to be really good with investing, I need to be in investing, immerse myself, deal with it, work with it, work in it, and not just sit on the sideline. I didn't want to be a, someone, a passive investor sitting on the sideline. Not that anything wrong with it, but that's not what I wanted for me because I fell in love with the, with the, with the field, with the category. Awesome. So did I hear that right? When you, you first started, you started while you're still in Israel before you moved to the U.S.? How was yeah. that? Could you, how did that go? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so after saving a little bit of money and doing some stocks and, stocks and options for about two years, I kept, I was on a path. I was on a, I was on an obsessive path because I realized as an individual, a young individual, See, in Israel, everything is delayed three to four years because of the military, right? Like compared to other countries. So okay. my adult life, my I, I got my uh, degree, engineering degree. I went, I started school at 21-ish, which is co- very common in Israel because of the military. Um, and then I finished when I was uh, 25. But already when I was, at uh, you know, getting my engineering degree and starting to work after my getting my degree, I, I sensed, I felt that I am real life economics illiterate. I have a, a degree in, you know, in economics, right? Macro and micro and, and balance sheets, absolutely, which I actually enjoyed in school. But in real life, pensions, retirement, well, you know, what am I paying for? This was horrible, horrible to say the least. And I decided that I need to put myself on a path to teach myself real life, you know, um, economics. I also felt that the path that I'm on, you know, getting degree, starting to work in the in the high tech, starting to put all those crazy hours as well, 
I didn't like that. I mean, I saw my parents, I saw my uncles, my parents' friends, my older cousins. They all good work ethics, but they are working hard, long and hard hours, missing on social stuff and family stuff. And 15, 10, 15, 20 years in, what do they have? An apartment or a condo with a mortgage or maybe a little house with a mortgage, right? For 15 years of hard work, that yeah, a lot of did not make sense. That did not, I could not, you know, compute that into my mind and saying, what is off here? And kind of that was a trigger to start looking for something. I didn't know what I was looking for, but I knew the answer that they have in front of me is not an answer I'm willing to accept. And that led me to real estate. And that actually led me to U.S. real estate. I bought my first home, completely sight unseen, $128,000 home in a sub, nice suburb of Phoenix from the builder, sight unseen. Glenn, I don't know if you remember, Google was a startup in, the, in you know, in, uh, in 20, it, that was 2002. Google was considered okay. a startup. There were no Google Maps, no Zillow, no Redfin, no Trulia, no public records online. You know, MapQuest was the, like, wow, MapQuest was like big, big deal then, right? <laughs> I so remember that's, having that's... a triptych from CAA or AAA, where you flip each page to go through oh like God, a manual wow. map. <laughs> stop, stop. It's it's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> my kids will never understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how I got started. You know, I bought it completely sight and seen. And when I was under contract, I arranged through my job a trip to the U.S. to visit my sister, to visit, you know, to, to, to go to one of our uh, job sites. So I took the time and flew to Phoenix, right? So I over on the, on the plane from the East Coast just to see where is Phoenix? Because I knew on MapQuest <laughs> I could find it, but, you know, it's, it was really, it was really um, not trivial for me. So it felt good to go and see where, the lot that your house will be built on, it was only a lot, yeah. not even property or see other houses nearby. It was reassuring. It was building the confidence, but it was still, you know, very, it felt more like a hobby than a, than a serious, uh, uh, serious uh, business. So, okay. So you're doing this all the way from, from Israel. You did go and see it, but they're building it like right ground up, right? Right from the lot. Were you having for these first ones, were you having to um, finance this completely cash or could you get any sort of loans at all? Uh, I could at the time there were loans available to foreigners. Um, you know, almost certain it was 25% down, 75% mortgage. And that's how we purchased. If I had to bring all cash, I would not have uh, been able to do that so much. So in order to buy it, as well, I didn't have enough for the down payment. The down payment and closing was twenty five thousand. That's what we needed. Yeah. I didn't have twenty five thousand dollars. I have, I had twelve thousand five hundred and change. Halfway right? there. <laughs> yeah, halfway there. What does it mean? I need a partner. I got a partner. My cousin. Uh, we grew up together, same age. I was also interested in those things. I convinced him, so we partner up. And I remember clearly, you know, we were signing on the closing documents in a, in one of the Tel Aviv high rises. And we were, we signed the documents. We step away from the signing, signing, you know, technically buying, you know, just bought a house that we've never seen in a different country, different language, different, everything, laws, regulation, culture. We go in the elevator, right? I think we're like on the 40 something floor. We look at each other 
And he looks at me and was like, what have we just done here? <laughs> it was just, you know, we weren't intimidated, but we we're like asking ourselves, you know, there was a doubt, right? Because oh, all yeah. people. And then I remember when he asked me that, I was kind of taking the trip down in the elevator in my mind. I'm like, all right, Danny, here's a couple of things. In the bank, you have really nothing left pretty much, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars. But I was 26 at the time. I had a job. The next salary is coming in, in maybe two weeks or something like that. I told myself, the A, next salary is coming in, in, in any, any day, so to speak. So you're not out of the street. It's not like you've done something completely crazy. Second, if this was going to be turn out horrific because I know nothing, there's nothing around me, there's no Facebook groups, there's no you know investment clubs, there's no Glenn podcast on birthday kind of a thing. Yeah, my podcast. So I was really, you know, I it was very lonely as an investor at the time, especially in another country. Mm -hmm. I remember telling myself, if this will not work well, I have plenty of years to recover out of it because I'm young, right? So that was really important. I, uh, you know, to to get to that point, I felt that that uh, like what happened if the worst case happens, I'm, I'll be okay. Yeah. Not because I trust myself, that too, but because I'm young and I'm still have an income and I'm still employed and employable. So I wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my God, what have I done? And we were like going crazy. It was like, oh, wow, what have we done? Okay, we'll be okay. And it actually turned out to be much better than okay. So let's, let's hear the rest of the story. How did, how did this go? So that house, uh, which I bought um, uh, in 2002 and closed in, I think, early 2003, for 128,000, I think I did my first refinance refinance on it and pull cash out in 2004, uh, late 2004, when it was probably doubled. So maybe it was already sorry, maybe it was 2005 doubled. So from 120 to about 250, I did my first refinance, um, and then maybe a year later it went to 300. I did my second refinance. <laughs> I have to tell you that when I got one of the first refinances, I can't remember if it was the first or the second, I did the refinance and I received the check of the, the cash that I pulled out. Refinance, pulling cash out. And I got a check. I was at the office. Young guy. I already made a few other investments, right? But it was only the beginning, right? It's not really... Real estate-wise, things are not... They're moving, but they're not like blowing up in any way. Yeah. I'm just, oh, okay, you know, it's three houses, four houses, whatever. And I got this check and it was $79,000 check made to me for my own refinance. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm looking at the $79,000 check. I wish I took a picture. I don't know why. Um, and that, that blew my mind. That blew my mind. You know, what have I done? I mean, <laughs> yes, I worked and yes. And by the way, no, nothing came I, there's no money coming from parents or everything yeah. that i've accumulated over the years even the twelve thousand five hundred that i have all from my own saving my own work my own grinding it was not like uh you know anything you know ended, ended yeah. over so even i i even went once a few years maybe two years before i started i went to my dad and i wanted to borrow do some creative financing deal with him on a, on a, on a, on the house on, on basically on the on the apartment that we lived in and he was like, dismissed me, like, what do you, get away, <laughs> right? Yeah, so nothing, nothing like that, yeah. So you got some money out of this, from this refi. Uh, how does this story go? I'm assuming there's some more houses, there's there's some more stuff that goes. some it's, point you're moving to the U.S.? So 2004, when I did the refinance, I'm already in the U.S. 
Yeah. Right? This is 2004. So purchased 2002 and closed early 2003, I believe. 2004, I moved to the U.S. in January. So it's exactly what, uh, uh, 19 years exactly. Um, I just thought, then, sorry to cut you off. I just got this in my head. So you did a construction loan and then like construction no, no. loans are too, no, not to start. It was just a regular. So um, my experience is when you build your own home, you need a construction loan. If you're the developer behind it, so to speak, even if you, you use a builder. But when you go to a, any almost any U.S. suburb community where there's one or two builders that are building different models, you will drive in, you will see right at the gates, three, four, five model homes. You pick which model you want. You pick which finishes. You pick a lot. That's all happened in one of those houses. It was converted, yep, yep. converted into a sales office. You sign the documents. You pick a lot. You pick the model. You pick the finishes. You're done. You pay normally a, de a deposit, many times non-refundable deposit of five, ten, whatever they, they you know yep. could be twenty thousand, and then you wait. There's nothing going on in between. You just need to prep your mortgage. The next financial event uh, that happens is closing. At closing, you, uh, nothing is going to be paid in between. At closing, closing is done. You know, you need the uh, certificate of occupancy issued by the county. Then the builder can close. Sorry, the more the lender can close, yeah. and you own the house. So the next time money is needed is at closing. Then you need to bring the rest of the down payment. So let's say I need to I needed twenty five and I paid five. I need an additional twenty for the down payment gotcha. and closing. Lender comes in. So there's no. I've done other deals where you had the construction and then. You know, turn into or refinance. This was gotcha. I I get very it. straightforward. Yeah, easy. Anyway, sorry, I, I derailed you a little bit there. <laughs> all you know, all part of the conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, now you're you're done the refis. You're getting the next property. What what's how's the rest of the story going? Next properties. Yeah, that property bought me four more. So yeah. I bought four more. So did, well, those next four, are those uh, new construction as well? When I started investing in the U.S., I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. GlennSutherland.com slash coaching. A 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process. Make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at GlennSutherland.com slash coaching. What do those look like? Uh, probably a mix. I think uh, at the time, what I remember, it's been a while. There was one new construction in Fort Worth. There was one, you know, that's also an interesting, I don't know, interesting, but funny, good story. Uh, maybe one of my best stories. There was another one I purchased in in Orlando. And that's actually an interesting story because I bought that um, one in Orlando, East Orlando, for 190000 in 2005, September of 2005. Um, and then the uh crash yeah, came, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, let, let me put it in perspective what I was doing day in, day out, besides investing myself, I was also helping others do the same. Yeah, so I've already by the time the crash came, I had a bunch of properties myself, highly leveraged, by the way, not a, not a good, uh, not a good uh, thing to have back then. And then also work with a lot of investors who've done you know similar things. So I was kind of 
mentoring them, helping them, coaching, whatever, advising them to do the same. Um, and then the crash came. And that property in East Orlando, which I still own, I bought it for $190 with a tenant. And it was not cash flowing. It was actually horrible cash flow, negative cash flow, right? Uh, by design, let's just say by design. And that property for $190 uh, purchased in 2005 got all the way down to $84,500 in 2009. Half, I would say more than half, right? Now, interestingly enough, so I've owned this property since 2005, September. So that makes it, uh, what, 17 years as of the last September, 17 years. Yeah. Over that time of those 17 years, it wasn't a pleasant thing to see the value of the property that you purchased went more than, goes down 60%. No, no fun. But I remember telling myself at the time, I said, Danny, you, this is not a failure. Shut up, suck it up, write it on. You never intended to buy something short-term. You always intended to buy something long-term. There's a big hiccup. Shut up, suck it up, move on. That's exactly the, the words I used in my mind to kind of overcome. Because the minute I saw that, you know, the image of 84,500 on Zillow is kind of, you know, is like, it's, it's, it's here, right? I can't, you know, and maybe conversation like this, you know, resurface it as well. I can't forget it. So that not a pleasant thing to see, but it was rented. Um, I think that the rent even went up. Vacancy went down altogether. I knew that, although that wasn't an issue with this one. Over the 17 years that I've had this property, which is now worth 350, maybe a bit, a bit more than 350, um, had three tenants in total has been vacant in 17 years total of four months combined over the wow. four months, which is practically zero. By the way, two months out of the four is my own reason because between tenant number two and number three, I wanted to just do a little bit more work, paint, you know, kind of freshen it up. So I kept it for a month, um, um, uh, you know, a month just to get, take care of things. So it's even, you know, uh, if I look at the amount of repairs I had to done, I had done on this property, the cost of them, I would probably be at about $15 a month. You know what? Call it 20. And that means new AC, new, you know, new HVAC system, new roof, which I didn't pay for. The luckily the insurance company paid for, paint the entire exterior once, and miscellaneous in a fridge, it's you know, a faucet. I you know, I probably redone, you know, a bathroom mm. for 2500 But if you average it. I don't think I get to even $20 a month on average for 17 years. So all in all, it's been really, you know, I was that conversation of, you know, shut up, suck it up, wait, or write it out. It could be a slogan. That, that was a really good conversation to have because it pay, it's, it's paid. You know, I, two days ago, I actually calculated how much rent I, I, I uh, received from that property. I'm well over $300,000 just in rents collection for that property. That's, you know, and I'm, yeah, maybe even more, you know, like well, I was yeah, very yeah, yeah. cautious. That's amazing. Amazing. So, right now we're kind of in um, a recession or we've had a lot of months in a row where there's some, some declining prices. Um, from when you were doing this back in, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007, um, 
would you have done anything different back then in 2007 before, you know, when you're buying this Orlando property, would, what would you have done differently? Absolutely. And not only would I, I, I've learned, I sat down right after the crash and kind of decided that I need to do things differently. I would say a um, couple of things that I decided that are super important. Uh, and they lead me th since 2009, 10, when I re thought about things to, still to today. Number one, a little bit more conservative. The years that I've done before the crash, I was aggressive, very high leverage, negative cash flows by design. This is not was turned out to be not good. Uh, so today, I rather buy five houses and not ten. You know, to be a little bit more uh, um, um, conservative with the leverage, with the cash flow, and that's also when I work with my clients, I tell them about you know the same thing. So one thing is a little bit more conservative, and I'm trying to make sure there's always, at least after all realistic expenses, a little bit of cash flow. Right, that's the goal. Even if it's just it's a buffer, it's a bonus. It's not, I'm not doing it for the cash flow. So that's very, very important. Second thing, how I go about analyzing and evaluating the protocol that I've developed for myself and my clients to analyze and evaluate properties today is 10 times better, more detailed, maybe 20 times than what we did before the crash. So that was an amateur before the crash. And that's more like a pro uh, today, like completely, you know, night and day. Um, I, I, you know, I felt that I had to build for myself a tool that will help you make at least a financial decision and a very clear protocol on the quality aspect of the transaction. And it, you know what? It's been working very well for the past 12, 13, 14 years. Very well. Uh, you know, I have now I have the, the years to show that, you know, even before COVID, it just works well, not no, no big dramas, uh, all in all. And everything we do, we do in a, let's say in a large scale. So we have not just tested it over 10 properties. It's probably been tested over 3000 properties or 2,500 properties uh, over time. So yeah. that's, kind of, uh, those are the mainly two things is a little bit more conservative in cash flow and much, much, much more detailed analysis process or decision-making process critical yeah and one thing you said without saying is you used to obviously set up long-term financing so when things do go sideways it you can as long as you're you know if you as long as you have cash flow or you're at a negative cash flow you're comfortable with but as long as you can it'll just keep riding until things get better right you know you haven't lost anything until you sold you can just, if you've got the long-term financing, you didn't do one of those short-term loans, you can just keep riding this through. Absolutely. The, I think those who lost during the, the crash of 2008 on, on big time were either people that didn't have the cash coming in to cover for their negative cash flow. I've been in that situation. So that was just bad design of life finances. That was the, those were one type of, lo of, lo of losers in the sense lost, you know, houses, et cetera. Uh, and it did happen, of course. Um, the second ones are people who just got nervous for no good reason. I mean, sorry. I, <laughs> yes, for good reason. But honestly, I had many conversations with clients around that time. And I said, be patient, write it out. Same thing. You know, maybe a little bit not, you know, not so, uh, you know, not so blunt. But the same thing, you know, just be patient. And I still have today, either some of those clients who still work with me or others that I see me talk. And they're like, remember you told me or not to do this deal or remember you told me to uh, write it out. Thank you. I still get those, those things. A decade later, they remember that I, I don't want to say save them, but I gave them that piece of advice. 
that just put things in perspective and they're like, you know what? I can write it out. I will write it out and I'll I'll be quiet about it. And, and they're not just thanking me. They're very happy because those houses did very, very well, right? Very well. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And same thing, people do the same thing with the stock market. As soon as it drops, they sell it. You're like, you're supposed to do the opposite. You're supposed to be selling when you're on the top, not on the bottom, right? People leave the I casino have... when they're at the very bottom, when they've lost the most amount of money. They don't leave yeah. when they're at the top. I, you know, I'm not a much of a stock guy, but no, me the neither. Year, the biggest year that I purchased stocks most was 2022. I I look at the, at the charts. I, I say, wow, they lost so much. It's a good company. I think it's a good company. Buy, right? Wow, they lost so much in value. It's a really good company. Buy, you know. <laughs> and I always tell myself, I don't, I don't, I'm not on the on the screen. That's it. Buy and forget. I don't care about it in a way. I'm not looking and getting nervous. I'm like quality stock. The same thing with real estate, quality property, good area, long-term buy and hold. You know, I'm yeah. not, it gives you the, it's a self way to hedge against those crises. When you're just buying quality long-term, crisis will come maybe even twice in the next decade. Who knows what quality long-term, right? And then you'll probably ride or weather every storm. Even if the value goes down, wait. <laughs> so, so what does your business look like now? Like from your store, you started in Phoenix. So that's Arizona. You moved to Fort Worth, which is Texas. You went to Florida, East Orlando. Uh, where are you working now? What are you, what are you kind of doing now? Yeah, so since 2014 now, I've probably been active, very active in over, over 35 different U.S. metros. And when I say active, we normally, not personally, me and my clients, uh, when they buy, each one is buying individually. We help them facilitate that. Um, we've done something around 5,000 properties, rental properties over those years. Um, right, and, and markets change, right? So the, the local economy, like Phoenix right now, I'd be happy to go back if it, if it drops. If yeah. the numbers work, work, start working again, I'll be back gladly. It's not in my, in my world of real estate. It doesn't. Um, right now, we're very active in Birmingham, Alabama. Kansas City, St. Louis, Nashville are the top four. Um, kind of dragging behind because the numbers are tighter and tougher, especially with the higher rates, are Houston, Dallas, Worth, Orlando, and Tampa. And hopefully maybe Phoenix will, will join that, that group. Again, it's kind of not doing much in those areas just because the achieving even a minimal cash flow is very, very uh, difficult with the, with the current rates. Texas is tough because of the property taxes and insurance. So that makes even a higher, higher burden over other markets. Yeah. So <laughs> you started listening to the same markets that I work in. So I, I feel like there's something here. Like we've both done the same kind of research. Uh, I'm doing Birmingham. I'm doing Kansas City. Uh, we were, we've been looking at St. Louis a lot too. Um, and I haven't really took, touched Nashville. I thought Asheville was kind of expensive, but, um, you know, anyway. Nashville, Nashville or Asheville, what did you hear? I thought you said Nashville. I, Nashville. Correct. Correct. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, but anyway, um, no, I think there's something there. Um, Danny, before I let you go, let's, uh, people want to have contact information or want to know about your company, how you help people in the U S or invest in the U S, uh, give us a, give us a little spiel here. Right. So uh, my web identity is my company name, which is Simply Do It. Simply Do It. So like it. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably anywhere you'll find, you'll go Simply Do It. 
you know, with um, with um, uh, dashes in between real estate. No, I just anywhere like on, okay. on YouTube, simply do it. Twitter, simply do it. Instagram, Facebook, website, everything, simply do it. It's kind of easy, catchy to remember if someone is listening. You're like, what is this guy with an accent? Oh, simply do it. I get it, right? <laughs> uh, so following that, you know, our, our website is simply do it. Unfortunately, it's .net, not .com, but it's simply do it.net. Um, our email is meet, like meeting, but M-E-E-T at simply do it.net. And if you just put simply do it in real estate, Google it, I'll probably show, you know, show up one way or another very quickly. And then reach out. Anybody wants to reach out, just have a conversation, see if this is a good fit, if we can help you. Um, no problem. You know, I'm not a very, there's no books, no tapes, no boot camps, that, that stuff. We're really about executing, you know, grinding it out. I love that approach. And I, I actually love the name. You need to get some t-shirts or something. I'd love to have a t-shirt that says simply do it. My wife, I need t-shirts. And she's like, (laughs) anyway, Danny, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I think there's a ton of value, a lot of takeaways that people can apply from uh, over the years and your your lengthy experience in the United States, I think is valuable, but thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.